We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one word. What is the other word? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's going to be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Oh, you know, I just, I love unpaid work, apparently, <laughs> because I just keep picking up more and more of it. So... Yes, it's it's an interesting working landscape out there in the culture business. That's all I'll say. <laughs> well, you know, those of us over at Tenant's side, we seem to uh, enjoy it as well because we do yes. keep adding to our plates. Yeah, I'm not bitter. <laughs> at the end of the show, we're going to talk with Eric Adams from the AV Club. He's the assistant uh, TV editor over there, and we're going to talk some Bunheads Season 1. But before we get there, we are starting up monthly TV themes at Sound.Site TV. So much like there are the monthly film themes, there will now be monthly TV themes. And this month, it is favorite TV series, past and present, over at Sound.Site.org. So I wrote up a, a piece about Buffy, of course, because I love it so very much. As anybody's listened to our, our DVD shelf with uh, David Bax from Battleship Pretension will remember, it was our first ever DVD shelf. Yes. Yes, it was. And uh, so we're going to be doing Angel soon also with Mr. Bax, I believe. Yeah. Let's uh, knock on wood there. Make sure we don't jinx that. But uh, have you thought about what you're going to write about for favorite TV shows? Uh, well, I'm, I'm not exactly going to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use the fact that we now have a TV theme to finally finish an article that I've been working on for a long time. But I already wrote a piece about Deadwood, which is my favorite show ever, so... I figured that's got me covered. That that seems about right, and I'm pretty sure Ricky is going to write something up because uh, he's he's still very much enjoying his his watch through Deadwood. Got to hear talk to him a little bit on Twitter about how uh, he was wondering about if that was really Nick Offerman, and those who've seen it Deadwood was. knows know what we're talking about. But we also heard from Shannon, who is looking forward to Bunhead's talk, and he named his cat Willow, so he was. He enjoyed my Buffy article, and he recommends Person of Interest Relevance as an episode worth checking out, because I was asking um, if what what episodes of procedurals that I usually skip over I should be checking up with, and that was because, of course, I was a guest on the TV Times 3 podcast this week. You can check that out at TV Times 3, and uh, we talked about some of the shows we talk about on here, but we also talked about Psych and Castle and some other ones that you know we don't really usually cover, so that might be fun for your listeners to go check out. Um, so anyway, so he, he recommends Purse of Interest. Uh, you, you enjoyed that show, but it's been a while since you checked in, though. Uh, no, I, I haven't watched it in a while. And, you know, it, it's, a, it's a fun enough series, and it, it, had some, it had some high points here and there. But, uh, no, I, I don't feel a, a desperate urge to rewatch it anytime soon. Also heard from Mario, who said he, he qualified that the reason he's liking your Amazing Race Pools uh, picks is because you're currently in last place and he's currently in first. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Amazing Race later in the show, but I figured I should mention that. We also talked some Oscars. We heard from Catherine, and I believe that's the first time we've heard from you, Catherine, so thank you for, for writing in or tweeting us. And uh, she said uh, maybe the reason that Jess is less prominent on Girls this season is because Jemima Kirk just had her second baby. So that would do uh, it. That might be it. 
Yeah. Um, Keith. Uh, Pesky babies. Oh, silly people and they're having families and lives and more important things to do. We heard from Keith, who uh, says the, the Super CW player at the website sucks. And yes, yes, it really does, Keith. Um, so the CW, if you could get on that and not fail at life, that would that would be nice. Um, and he's bummed. He would be bummed if they canceled Bunheads. So another, you know, the bit of support for Bunheads. Uh, Beth enjoyed the Buffy article. Juan, uh, Juan and I were talking some Oz, the Great and Powerful. And how we hope it'll, I hope it'll be good. He's convinced it's going to be terrible. I'm pretty sure he's right of the two of us. Amanda's still watching Supernatural. Jeff uh, loves Lost. I I threw it out there. What are your guys' favorite shows? And uh, Jeff, Jeff responded with Lost. I think, I don't know if you've taken a listen to our Lost segment with Mo Ryan yet, uh, Jeff. But if you haven't, then maybe check it out because I'm right there with you. There's a lot of great podcasting around Lost when it was on the air. And uh yeah, it was definitely a fun show. And then uh, Eric enjoyed our Dark Shadows segment with Will McKinley. So thank you for listening in, Eric. We're always glad to hear from, from new, new listeners. And speaking of, we're also always glad to hear from listeners via uh, iTunes, where, where, of course, we have an MP3 and an M4A feed up there. And we would love to get some ratings or reviews. It's been uh, a while since we got a, a new rating. Our last one, I believe, was in October. So if you've been waiting to you know to to post, post a review we would ask that maybe now is a good time we've gotten a bunch of new uh, ratings and reviews about the walking dead podcast and we very much appreciate that um but if anybody you know, if you have a spare few few moments we would appreciate some new you know ratings and itunes help other people find the show yes we really really would we can always use more because that it, it increases our visibility and it helps us stand out from the pack when we have more reviews, and yeah, yeah. I, I think I think we 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 run a decently tight ship around here, so yeah. And you if you, if you hate the show too, let us know. <laughs> That's, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Feel free to you know to let out any bile or vitriol as well. <laughs> and if you and if you want to send us a check, Kate will be happy to email you her home address. <laughs> That's entertaining. But uh, another way you can support the show is we just uh, started up a Facebook page. So you can go on to Facebook and like us there. Of course, just search the Televerse and it'll come up. And if you, you know, we post up the different reviews that are going up every day. And uh, we'd love to start some, some, you know, communication between all the different listeners and really start to build a community on Facebook. So you can like us there and follow what we're doing. Yes, please do. But uh, I think that's probably enough for now. We should get into a week in TV. I, I ho- we're going to keep the show shorter than last week. It was a long one last week. Um, we actually have more shows this week. But unlike last week, there wasn't a death in every show. So yes, hopefully we'll only be able in a, to only in a couple, only in a few. Um, but let's start. Let's kick things off with the Tuesday comedies. And this week that means. New Girl, Tinfinity, Mindy Project, The One That Got Away, and Cougar Town Make It Better. And uh, it was another really strong Tuesday for me. I very much enjoyed Mindy Project. Did you? I asked if maybe you would check it out. Did you have time or no? I I did not, sadly. Sadly. uh, uh, This was one with uh, Seth Rogen. He came on as a a former childhood friend, uh, to some extent, of Mindy's, who uh, she reconnects with. But he is in the military and is going to be deployed again the next day. So they just kind of spend the day together and we follow them. It was a really nice episode and had had some great humor, but also felt truthful. And and, um, and it was sort of before sunrise light. So when you're starting with before sunrise, even a light version of that is going to be pretty great. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So uh, I hope that we'll get some more from that character down the line. 
uh, when he's back. I believe the character's in Afghanistan, but I could be One wrong about that. One of those places. One of those. Uh, but it was really, you know, nice to see. With Mindy Kaling, of course, she can bring in all these really high-profile guest stars and... It's nice to get to see a little more dramatic role from Seth Rogen. But let's talk about some of these other ones. You you watched Infinity? I did. I thought it was a perfectly solid, acceptable episode of New Girl. Uh, nothing nothing offensive on the order of the weird off uh, previous <laughs> week. Uh, on the other hand, they're they're really stretching out the uh, the Nick and Jess thing, aren't they? Yeah. Um, and they're also really stretching out, uh, frankly, the, um, the Schmidt and Cece thing. Like. It's, it just seems so clear that they're not going to go through with her getting married to that guy who's a guest star. Uh, <laughs> I mean, does, any, does anybody think that's really going to happen? Uh, it, it just feels like that's that's going to unravel in a fairly predictable way. So I'm hoping they get it over with rather than taking the entire season to do it. Yeah, I'm with you on that, though. I do think this in this episode, the performance we get from Max Greenfield kind of makes up for any of that. I thought he was really great, actually, in this episode. I agree about the way they're stretching out Jess and Nick. If they're going to make each episode be so focused and with at least a B-plot on, on the that dynamic, then I wish they would just get it over with and get the two together. If they're not going to get the two together, then let's let it go you know, back down, be some like C plot, D plot, skip it for a week and come back to it. Yeah. The other show is Cougar Town, make it better. And I like that, you know, similar to kind of new girl, they did address the, the relationship with Travis and Lori. I thought it was handled really well. We got more <laughs> creepy mothering from Courtney Cox, um, but it was a fun episode. And uh, it was nice again to see every now and again, they show that maybe Bobby isn't the worst parent ever. And so that was an, a nice touch here. Also, we had on Tuesday, Cult in the Blood. I checked in with another episode, and yeah, you're right. The, the details are, <laughs> are too wrong for me to watch this show. And, and I hadn't even noticed some of those, but the, the dialogue was pretty terrible this week. And and very, um, it, it's just poorly executed. It's just The writing needs to be better. Just the, you know, if you're going to have a scene be blatant exposition, at least try to hide it a little bit, you know? And But the combination of the scripts and the performances, it's just all the details are wrong, just like we talked about last week. And the execution of even the most basic scenes feels uh, underthought. And so, therefore, I'm done breaking up with uh, Colt, cutting it quick. Wow. That was fast. That was fast. But uh, it's moved to, to Fridays now on CW. It was getting terrible ratings on Tuesdays. Um, we'll see if it manages to stay there at all. I would imagine that Colt is very short for this world. Yeah. Well, and there's something especially lame about a show that tries to sneakily engender like a cult audience by featuring a cult audience, but it's yeah. just too lame to actually do that in real life. It's just, it's so, it's almost sad, actually. The one detail I did like in this episode, though, was the fact that they've kind of established that the show within the show is pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually kind of enjoy that with it. And it felt like an intentional, terrible show within the show because we've seen Alana Tal be a lot better than she is when she's within the show, uh, right. when she's in the show within the show. And so I, you know, I did actually kind of enjoy that, that the show that everybody's obsessed about is actually kind of 
not that great. <laughs> so that was something, but it's not enough to get me to stick around. Last week, I already talked about the Golden Boy pilot on CBS. It's staying on Tuesdays for a little while longer. We'll see how long before they move it over to another night of the week. But uh, on Wednesday, we had the Top Chef Seattle finale, or part two of the finale, and uh, they entered Thunderdome. Yes, they did, didn't they? And this kind of sucked, didn't it? I mean, we've been so positive on this season. Mm-hmm. And, the you know, you, you said that you weren't so sure about the whole life finale idea, and you were totally right, because it did not work for them. It, it, or at least not this version of it. Like, maybe mm-hmm. there is a version of, of a live, in air quotes, finale, that which this wasn't really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, maybe there's a way that can work, but just the idea of ambushing Brooke with, yeah. hundreds of people that she's now cooking in front of and just various other the, certain editing choices and and the and the fact that half the episode was just pre-recorded stuff that was just dull and or hugely self-congratulatory yeah. or stuff we've already seen yeah is like oh that it was just not a good way to go out and the, and the judges all seemed really uncomfortable with the whole thing well you know there's something to be said for adding that live element to it and i would you know it, I think there's something you could do with a live live service or or a live uh, cook. It's like people can watch them in their final hours of, of prep and cooking and everything. That's, you know, you, maybe there's something there. But having, putting uh, uh, 300 people in the room for judges table just felt cruel. Especially the way that they, they structured it. I mean, not only was it a poor decision for judges' table because then the judges couldn't confer, and so we didn't get any discussion about the food that didn't, and that always is what brings out the best, you know, the most interesting comments in judges' tables when they, you know, the people who were more in favor of a dish can talk with people who didn't work and thought it didn't work and kind of suss it out together. Um, So that wasn't even an option because of the structure here. Also, it really bugged me that the that fifth course didn't get served didn't get played it didn't even get finished being cooked and so that was such a complete waste of food that bothered me but also they had both put a lot of thought clearly into their menus and it was we don't even care we don't want to we don't even want to eat the the food that you had uh spent all that time designing uh and and then there's the complete you know the other side of it where it just wasn't it wasn't suspenseful at all because are they gonna play that last course there's three minutes left i wonder who's gonna win yeah well and also just that there was no like if you think about the things that happen in a standard episode of top chef so many of them were absent so that was actually distracting like we got no discussion of the structure of the challenges or like where the inspirations came from there was very little discussion of the dishes themselves from the people cooking them, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and where where those inspirations were coming from, other than you know, oh, I did fried chicken badly, so now I want to do fried chicken well. It's like, okay, fine, mm-hmm. that was it, and you know, and you know, there was a like the, honestly, the only thing the live element brought was that hilarious moment where Stefan was getting hit on by an audience member. That was funny, <laughs> poorly, uh, yeah. That was that was great. The rest, uh, I don't. It was a failed experiment, and and like I said, the the judges just seemed ill at ease to me almost the entire time. Yeah, it. I, I mean, I do enjoy those uh, cooking, like the. I like I said, I've said before, I really like Iron Chef, and I enjoy enjoy some of these other shows. But you, you don't need to put somebody in front of their friends and family and then say, "We pick that person." 
Oh, you're emotional? Now we're going to pick that person again. Go work your butt off, but you're going to lose and everybody knows it. You know, it's just, it seemed cruel. Um, the food looked good. I'm sure the food was delicious. Uh, If I had been to the audience, I would have been a little pissed off that I didn't get to eat that fifth course. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. But yeah, I don't know. It's, it was, it was just a weird misfire for a season that was actually really good otherwise. Yeah. And it, and it makes you forget how good the rest of the season was actually. (laughs) But let's move on to our next show. I wanted to mention briefly Nashville, Dear Brother. I checked back in with Nashville actually because I was uh, due to DVR stacking i was waiting to watch um the the top chef finale so i was kind of flipping back and forth between a couple things and so i checked actually ended up checking in with a bunch of nashville this week and actually i thought it was really good so i was a little i was very pleasantly surprised i skipped through anything that had uh i can't even remember his name that makes me happy is i want to say avery avery right yes skipped through his scenes but i watched the rest there was some really nice music there was some really great um performance from, of course, Connie Britton, Hayden Panettiere. They, they've brought back the drug-abusing, alcoholic um, mother character for Hayden Panettiere, but they seem to be doing that storyline well. So I've, I'm actually, uh, I was actually pleasantly surprised. I don't know if I'll tune back in, but maybe it'll be something I catch up with over the summer. It seems like they've picked up on some of their mistakes, so we'll see. And all now they all they have to do now is kill Avery in a car crash or a plane crash or a boat crash or in anything or a drug crash <laughs> let's move on though to our next show which is southland and babel and or babel depending on where your nationality is and uh this was uh this was another fun episode it didn't have the emotional punch of last week's but i think we needed a little bit of a break after that yeah they, they very deliberately positioned this as a more comic episode than mm-hmm. we got in uh than, than we've gotten from the season so far i i was really wondering what the origin of that lemonade stand uh, poisoning was because that seemed like it had to have its roots in something that actually happened. Totally. Because that that's just not something that you just invent, uh, <laughs> unless that unless the writers are just are just that clever. Uh, yeah, I, I liked everything with uh, with the new partner and sort of trying to trying to f- figure out a rhythm between them and figuring out that oh maybe maybe it'll work out. And I th- I think they have an interesting dynamic. I enjoyed the aunt and the and the baby. <laughs> you didn't. She the baby oh, yes. was asleep when I left. She doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> she just has a demon baby or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I, as my, I was actually expecting to be annoyed with the um, with the with the framing device they've been using. I don't know if they've always been using it or if it's yeah. a season of the flash forward that we then eventually get to later in the episode. But I actually think the way they used it, especially this week, was quite clever. Even if it did have me thinking of Archer and ma 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 when he got his eardrum blown out or whatever yeah. it is that happened there. Um, I don't know. Was I the only one who went there with that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, but maybe I should have. Uh, but no, I did. I like this episode a lot. And of course we had Jerry McGraney pop back up. Yes. Yeah. I'm hoping that he's actually, I mean, I guess he's, I don't know if he's been on the show before, but I'm hoping he pops in again at least a couple more times. I, 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 is it too much to ask him to be a regular on something? Well, see, do we want him to be a regular on something or do we want him to continue to be on every show ever in a fun little guest appearance? Yeah, I don't know. It's a toss-up. But toss yeah, up. either way, great to see him. Well, speaking of Gerald McGraney, a show I'd love to have him pop up on is The Americans. I could see him on either side. I, I would, you know, let's get some McGraney in that situation. Now, this was comment or communications intelligence. What did you think? Man, this show is like, I feel bad uh, kind of now every week we don't spotlight it because we spotlighted it before and I just feel like it's getting better. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I haven't really detected a week yet where there's been a detectable dip. Um, it was nice to see some actual sort of 
almost conventional spot like adventure spy moments this this week especially with that amazing amazing sequence in the garage yeah and then what followed which i don't know about you but i was totally on edge the entire time that was pretty great yeah definitely but uh, i think the way they're ramping things up is uh, is really impressive and i'm also impressed with what they've done with noah emmerich's character who sadly i do still think of as just noah emmerich but uh, I, I liked all the scenes he got this week, and uh, and especially his exchange with the uh, with the I guess now uh, Russian triple agent. No, yeah, is she agent? Yes. Let's just go agent mole. Yes, with 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 the yes with the with the uh, female Russian agent and and his attempt to to grasp the language. I mean, so many great scenes this week. Now, did you think that he was telling her to do what she did? Because that's I did. I didn't, you know, whether or not he. I, I later I seemed from his uh, his reaction that he wanted to feel like he hadn't told her to do that, but mm-hmm. he did. I don't know. If, I don't know if he was telling her to do that, but he was telling her to do something. Yeah, and and he should not have been. He was he was forcing himself to be surprised that something had happened. Yeah, you know, he, he doesn't like to think of himself as asserting that sort of influence, but clearly that's what being in that position does. Um, and I'll, and hey, speaking of things like this that happened in this episode, um, I thought what happened with Elizabeth and uh, and the belt, yeah, was interesting. Was tough to watch, but uh, but uh, really interesting. And and watching her and Philip sort of try to negotiate around that was uh, was fascinating. Definitely, I'm glad they uh, they I'm glad they brought that back up. It's a nice continuation of that thread from from the pilot and. And, I, and I'm glad that they brought it up here. They it let it down a little bit, but we're seeing his protectiveness, you know, kind of c- come into conflict with his role as as a spy and his, their jobs. And I'm glad they didn't just uh, leave it the way that they yeah. had at the pilot, that he can't just always solve things for her. And that that's so much more challenging than if he could. Well, and also, and I like that it didn't devolve into... I'm going to exact revenge against this guy, and then it's going to mm-hmm. result in more complications, which is which I what I feel like any other show would have done, mm-hmm. where they they just sat down and talked about it. They're like, no, okay, it's fine. I'm just being silly, but yeah, I, I, don't, I still don't like it. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's probably what you would do in that situation. Well, and we also got that great scene with with uh, Margot Martindale. We're talking about how gender plays a role in this, and how you know, at least for Granny, I think they're calling her Granny. It's it really is. You know, it's harder to be a woman and do this job because you have you're so often put in a position of uh, less control, and you have to manipulate situations just from your physicality, but also because of the gender norms in the society. It's uh, yeah, it's definitely interesting. Yeah, worth noting the episode was uh, written and directed by women. Yeah. Uh, so n- not not necessarily a, sh- a shock to see these uh, these themes pop up in a compelling fashion this week. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not not a single. Uh, Put put wrong, and uh, uh, interestingly, I I noticed that there's a, a an episode in a couple weeks that's uh, written by uh, the co-creator of Saint Elsewhere, who's done almost nothing since Saint Elsewhere. Interesting. Uh, which is kind of kind of I'm uh, sorry, Saint, I should say Saint Elsewhere and Northern Exposure. Mm-hmm. So has, has done almost nothing since then. Has popped back in for this. Interesting. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see if uh, someone takes a, a flight to a small hospital in. Alaska, but uh, you, mean, you mean in an autistic child's mind, right? Yes, of course, of course. Uh, let's move on to Thursday, and we're gonna actually throw Bob's Burgers in with the Thursday comedies because Parks and Rec did take the week off, and Girls doesn't really feel like a regular 
comedy, so it's going to get something. But the rest of the comedies this week were Community, Alternative History of the German Invasion, Archer, Live and Let Dine, and Bob's Burgers, the OT, The Outside Toilet. We're going to slather praise all over Bob's Burgers, I'm pretty sure. So let's kick off with Community. They brought back the Germans, and I thought it was hilarious. I really enjoyed this episode, and uh, it was definitely... This has been such a schizophrenic season for a community where it's just terrible episodes and then a couple really strong ones and then a couple gags within a mediocre episode that that are good but the rest everything around it doesn't feel you know it's not, it doesn't have that the that real community tone and feel it's it's been a very strange season of community but I was very glad they brought back the Germans even if they didn't have Nick Kroll I thought it still worked and was was a lot of fun so I would be totally up for seeing them pop back up and you know next season if they got a next season i think it seems pretty obvious the show's gonna get canceled but if they get a next season due to nbc's nbc-ness right now then uh i would be all for seeing the germans come back let's move on to archer live and let dine i love tony bourdain but i don't like when shows cast him to act i don't think he can act uh yeah i i have to say i i did i liked the episode but he was the weak point for me i was just distracted by his presence uh, yeah, he got a couple of decent lines in, but I was, yeah, I, I didn't think it was necessarily the smartest move to bring him in, especially as such a Bourdain-like character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mind you, I did like where they what they did with him at the end of the episode. Yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> that was smart. Uh, but yeah, it was a. I thought it was a, a a pretty standard quality Archer episode, like maybe a little bit above the one we the one we the ones we've gotten in a couple of recent weeks, especially because it just had so many great running gags from the bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I don't, I don't know. I, I'm a sucker for for long gags like that, and especially the Spain, the 30s, Spain in the 30s through line, mm-hmm. which is the sort of gag that only Archer even tries for anymore. Uh, and I'm I'm a sucker for for simple sort of um, block, you know, building block gags like that. Yeah, it was it, there was a lot of good in here. I loved Archer really thriving in the het atmosphere. I thought that was pretty great in that environment. I I just yeah, it was. The only the weak point of the episode for me was Tony Bourdain because I was just watching it going, how much better would this episode be if they had brought somebody else in to do that character? That's the thing, if if you catch Tony Bourdain, if you know, if you're if you're watching if he's being himself and he's saying any of the stuff even as you know in a joking form where he's tr- being a caricature of himself but he's not acting. Then he then he's a lot more naturalistic. As soon as, even when he's on the little bit that he's on Treme, I don't think he works as well as the other. He's not as naturalistic as the other chefs they've brought in to to play themselves on Treme. And um, I don't know. I just I kept getting distracted by his presence as much as I you know I I, I lo- even love his uh, no reservations the the Bradley Cooper TV show that lasted half a season, uh, let alone his reality show. I do very much enjoy his presence, but just not when he's trying to play even a fictionalized version of himself. Yeah, that's too bad. I, I, I did think it was pretty good overall. And, yeah. uh, but hey, let's, let's, let's get to Bob's. Let's get to uh, Bob's. Get, and uh, This was such a good episode. Yeah, this was ridiculous. This was hilarious. Uh, I mean, just the fact that, okay, let's just, just start off with the fact that we have John, an uncredited, apparently, uh, John Hamm as a, as a sentient talking toilet. <laughs> uh, that was, it's, it's, it's the sort of idea that on paper just sounds too ridiculous but here was just so great and i don't think i laughed harder at anything maybe this year as i did at at tina's conversation when she when she says uh tell me tell me i love you i love you 
tell me I love you and also I'm not a toilet, I'm a boy. No. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, John Hamm just killed it. Uh, well, he was great. Also great was Neil Flynn as Max Flush. I was, it was, it was bugging me. I was like, I know that I know this voice. I know that I know it. And uh, when it came up in the credits, of course, I, I, I love his work on Scrubs as the janitor, uh, which you, I know you're not a big fan of Scrubs, but I love him there. And, and he's on the middle now, of course, but I thought that just the, the, the handling, the tone of that character. When when he's first confronting uh, Gene, you've won something. You've won the lottery. I better go cut my job. The stranger the stranger danger of that was just, just perfectly. like And also even in the animation and the noir feel to it. It was great. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I, I didn't even realize also until I was looking at Bob's wiki page. I'd forgotten that, that it's already been renewed. And not just renewed, but renewed for a longer season next year. Good. Uh, I, I like that it's done everything from nine episode seasons to now twenty two episode seasons next year. So yes, I I'm a very happy camper with Bob's right now. It can it can do no wrong. Well, and the last thing I'll say is that Louise is is my favorite of the kids usually, and so when there's a great Louise episode like the Bunny Ears from earlier this uh, this season that was fantastic, it can be easy to to forget just how how well conceived each of these characters are and how capable each of them are to really center an episode and so this was a gene episode and it was hilarious yeah well i mean all the kids got good material which was which is great i mean it was like i don't i don't think that there was a duff joke anywhere in any of the kid material and and i think it helped also that the b plot with with the parents was was just as good and i i also laughed really hard at at at, uh teddy's insistence that bob's last name was burgers (laughs) bob burgers bob Bob, Bob burgers that's what the sign says (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I, I don't want to just get down to just quoting this episode, which I've already done too many times. But yes, I, th- this is probably a top five Bob's episode for me. Absolutely. If you're not watching Bob's Burgers, check this one out. Find it. I, I believe it should be up at the Fox website. And if it's not, yeah. they're idiots. And people uh, actually watch it, which blows my mind. It's a good show yeah. that people watch. It's great. Wow. We're not used to that on the Televerse. <laughs> um, but let's let's move on to Friday. Uh, first, I want to mention the grim season uh mid-season return which is the airing actually this coming friday it's called the face-off i got a chance to see this one early and it's pretty great so if you enjoy uh grim make sure you check back in for this one there's lots of really good uh, there's a really good resolution of the cliffhanger and and really all everything that's sort of been left up in the air in the first half of the season there's Real, real significant forward momentum and so, several of the plots, like the under undercurrents of the season, and I just had a lot of fun with it. There's a really great. Um, well, I don't want I don't want to say anything because I don't want to spoil anything for you guys, but definitely check it back out. Um, on Friday, we also had Spartacus War of the Damn Blood Brothers, and everybody was talking about episode four as being a significant All one. About episode five, man. Episode five, definitely the, the best one of the season. Yeah, this was just so epic. I mean, I don't think. I had a more sort of jaw agape few minutes than the whole last sequence. I don't know, eight, eight or, sequence of this episode. I mean, just Caesar driving that knife into Spartacus's back was so well executed. And I, I guess we have to talk about this. I mean, we assume if they're going with history that Caesar's not going to die over the course of the show's run. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I know that's a problem for some people, but I guess for me, it just adds more stress because. The other characters don't know that he, quote, can't die. 
So I was like, no, you can't do anything. You're powerless here. Run away. See, that did, it doesn't work for me. And it didn't work for me in his fight with uh, Agron, especially because, and earlier when he, I was glad when they moved him away from, from Spartacus and Crixus, I, I was glad because I was like, okay, good. So they've done like the, the, the lip service of he's fighting them. They want to kill him because, you know, but then they, they find a, a way that makes sense to move him off screen. So that way you can not stop you know, there can be some tension in the fights again. But when he was fighting with Agron, I was completely out of, of out of the scene, out of the action, because, you know, you know that he, that he can't suffer grievous injury. Maybe yeah, he had a good you, cut. But you know that just it, that just heightens the opportunity that that just heightens the likelihood that Agron's going to die. Well, that, then the only thing that can happen is that Agron dies. Or nothing happens, and I don't didn't see that for a while. I guess there was a brief moment where I thought maybe they would, they would injure Agron because of the way they've been building up that uh, love triangle to some extent. Though I like the way that it was completely shut down in this episode. I thought actually that worked really well uh, with Agron and his I guess boyfriend. Boyfriend doesn't seem like a significant enough term, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't think we can we can use that label here. Yeah, but um, anyways, the for me it just I I don't I didn't feel like they were really going to kill Agron either, so it just had the the mo- those moments had no suspense. I was actually really really hoping they were going to pull in the glorious bastards and just kill Caesar. That would have been amazing. But I do think like thinking thinking on that, I've been thinking about that possibility, and I I don't know if it's a good fit with the rest of the show. Like I think in the That's context true. of the season, it's an interesting move, and I think would be a great holy shit moment for everyone. But it's not departing oh so openly departing from history is not something they've done before especially knowledge. with five episodes left to go yeah it seems like it's it's almost too much of a hail mary to pull at this point even for spartacus so and they, they really yeah. don't need to do this sort of thing to be a good show which i mean it, it already is a great show so yeah yeah I, I mean there's five episodes left and there's they've got like two dozen characters to kill so it's gonna be something <laughs> to watch well it just every every week i love their prose style more and more i get just and and the i mean obviously the actors are really comfortable with it at this point but is that just my growing comfort with it or is it just being written better like Uh, even more stylish i'm not sure which it is i mean the 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 rhythms of spartacus are extremely repetitive which at first really bothered me but now it's just whenever i talk to anybody about the show who who watches it we always just try to talk about it like we're on spartacus which is just (laughs) too much fun to not enjoy it's got to be a fun show to write for absolutely and um yeah there, there was a lot of good character beats here this week i love the navia and Ganicus moment uh <laughs> that that we had as well as it, just the, the detail of of spartacus getting stabbed in the back by caesar when you know caesar's gonna die by getting stabbed in the back <laughs> it was the first blow at least of of that the way that he's gonna die um and so yeah it just it it's, spoiler alert for history, Kate. Come spoiler on. Spoiler alert for history and Rome and anything, any story ever. I just, I just kill, I just ruined Shakespeare for everyone. But um, oh, no, by it, the way, uh, Caesar is a bitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, do we want to talk about Tiberius at all? Just to say that I actually, I thought those scenes worked really well. Was another nice sort of uh, beat to throw in there, as long as you're, you know, being brutal and uncompromising. Well, just you know, they managed to make us want us want him to die even more. So, yay! Do who do yay. we want to kill him though? Oh God, so many! I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to. I don't, I don't. It's, it's going to be so good to watch. I don't care who does it. I mean, <laughs> I, I, 
I don't care if the smoke monster from Lost comes in and does it. It's gonna be it's gonna be fantastic no matter how it happens. Yeah. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens moving forward with them on the run. It. Uh, yeah, I did. I did peek uh, into Wikipedia and refresh some of my knowledge of what's to come with history, and uh, some of it they're holding with some of the some of it they're not. But it should be it should be fun. So yes. I look, I'm looking forward to that, and as well as uh, the when we we're going to do a a series uh, recap or or spotlight or DVD shelf when the finale airs, and I'm very much looking forward to that as well. So it should yes, be fun. Definitely. Moving on uh, to Sunday, we had the Amazing Race, like James Bond again, and I ended up going with the Surfers this week for my new picks. After my original picks did get eliminated rather spectacularly last week, um, I I don't think I like them, but at least right now, they seem like they have a decent shot at winning, so I guess I'm going to stick with that. How are you feeling about your girls, uh, Pam and Winnie? Uh, they're all right. I mean, they seem like a fairly middling team, to be honest, but maybe they'll stick around long enough that I won't feel too bad when they get eliminated with three or four teams left. I actually like them, so that's something. There you go. Um, yeah, it was it was an all right installment, I guess. Uh, I'm. It seems like every season you have to get the... Uh, the driving challenge involving some people not knowing what to do with a clutch. And I don't drive. I'm terrified of driving. So any driving related challenge, I could never do the amazing race for this reason. Yeah. I, Sadly. I, at first I thought really 83 seconds. And then I realized it was the two of them combined. And that made that a really tough challenge, I think. But I do think they needed to do something to balance it out a little because it just seemed so ridiculously unbalanced as for like the amount of time that it would take. For those two challenges, I thought that yeah, eighty-three seconds versus catching a fish. Between, yeah, well, and it has to be the right size fish, and you you have to get it in the net. I, yeah, it just um, I think they I, I actually thought that I was I predicted that that the um, Winona and oh, what's what's her husband's name were going to do that challenge and do really well at it. Actually, I just thought it was too bad that there wasn't like a, a longer trip to get to the, I don't know, to get to the race car thing or something. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, the, the clutch thing that did seem pretty, pretty tough. I got to say they, the guys lucked out that they had that express pass. Yes. Yes, they did. So you think they're going to stay in? Not for much longer. I, I don't, I can't possibly see how. Well, no, but I mean this cliffhanger, do you think they're going to drop out or they're going to keep going? Oh, they can't? In, in that sense. No, they'll keep going. They're not going to start an episode with a team dropping out. That would be such a downer way to start an episode. Yeah. Don't you think? Well, I think they would. I think if they weren't going to do it, they would have said no at the end of this episode. And this would have been our goodbye to that team. Yes, I think you're right. Just from a, a, a television making, I was about to say filmmaking point of view. Um, I think that they probably should because the last thing that, that this guy needs is to actually 100% rupture tear destroy his achilles tendon but can't really blame somebody for wanting to keep going on this ridiculous crazy trip yep anything else on amazing race i th my last thing is that uh, i always hate when they have this many uh negators you know, time you know catch-ups as it were they had like i felt like there were three of them this week it might have only been two but it, that still seems like it's too many because then what's the point of doing well if everybody's just going to catch up um anything like that bother you or are you just fine and we're just waiting for next week no, I agree. They they overdid that a bit. I, I'm always annoyed, though, when they do an episode where the leg doesn't get completed because 
and yeah. we don't make any movement in the in the pool. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I guess we'll just have to hold out till next week and see who you know if you're if we're actually. I think I'm in last place too. I'm in fourth. I think there's a bunch of us tied for fourth. Uh, Mario's still in first. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out next week. But let's move on to girls. It's back. And uh, I was, was I had an interesting experience watching this episode in that we of course find out that Hannah has OCD and uh, and this counting thing that she does. At first, I w- kept waiting for the reveal that Hannah had decided she was going to try on OCD because it seemed to help other people clear things up for themselves. Uh, and so at first, I was just watching it with this comic approach, and then when I saw later in the episode that no, this is serious i actually thought lena dunham did a really good job of of play of playing that and i mean it seems to me that it wasn't that was an intentional thing that for us to an intentional potential reading um either that or i'm a terrible person but uh, uh I, I actually said the exact same thing in my review so in that case we're both terrible people hive mind um, hive mind <laughs> uh but yeah apparently the ocd thing is autobiographical which i was previously unaware of so it i guess it makes sense in that sense it's a really gutsy thing to do to i mean girls is a gutsy show but even by their standards to to sort of retroactively explain some of her you know i guess we can infer that because she has these ticks that i guess were submerged for a while and are now back that that's sort of part of what why she had such an embattled i guess adolescence and then you, you can see that sort of informing her adulthood but uh, I thought it worked as a reveal for the most part. And obviously having her parents back was great. Um, I'm less excited about the Marnie stuff, as in not at all. <laughs> I like the app, though. Usually when on these shows, when somebody creates some genius product or website or something, it never lives up. To, to the to the hype of the episode it never really makes sense or seems viable i actually like that idea for an app and and could see it being successful i don't see it going uh, from where he's been before to this brand new charlie we get this week it doesn't really make sense to me but at least the idea makes sense to me i would be shocked if immediately after this episode aired assuming the app doesn't already exist if it doesn't exist now because it's a good idea Yes, it is. I'd use it if I had a smartphone, which I don't, or money, which I also don't have. But anyway, <laughs> well, then you'd be really good at not breaking your word to yourself. Um, I, yeah, I'm not overly thrilled with uh, what we get from Marnie this week, but I do think it makes sense, and uh, I do, and I actually really like what we get from Charlie. I like that he doesn't seem to be backpedaling. I just, I didn't really expect any sword forward motion for that character really ever on the series. No. I'll- Although I do think he owes Marnie a cut of the royalties, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, probably. But she, she I mean, I don't know, she's pretty terrible in this episode with him. Uh, so she, she is. Um, and I, I liked seeing Adam so happy and pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. and everything there was so joyful. Uh, weird to see Sherry Appleby here also. Mm-hmm. But um, on the other hand, I feel like there's only one way for that story to go, which is for him to realize that he doesn't want a conventional happy relationship and he want, wants to keep messing around with Hannah. So... I yeah. hope not, because that, that... I feel like is, that's the only way. This is more interesting to me, but... Uh, oh, absolutely, but it's not the way they're going to go. Yeah, the other thing that I w- did like is I actually really liked the... I I was very disappointed in Shoshana uh, cheating on Ray, but um, I did actually like that brief scene with, with uh, Marnie and Ray and how, how Marnie comes out of nowhere with this singing thing, but that, that felt very realistic and very truthful to... 
you know, a lot of people who, who have some sort of a creative thing that they don't want to show anybody. Yeah, and I like that, that she doesn't have a horrible voice. She just has a very kind of average voice. She has a pleasant voice, something that could do well, you know, that, that could be produced to sound really good, but is not going to knock anybody's socks off live. Yeah, not not to mention the fact that she probably doesn't have an ounce of actual creativity, which yeah. probably doesn't help. Yeah, she's not going to win, probably, at least from what we've seen from the character so far, she's not going to win any songwriting competitions anytime soon. And uh, I think the elephant in the room for this episode really was, was Jessa, and it was nice to have that brief kind of callback to Marnie's immediate reaction when Jessa showed up in season one of skepticism and pain and crap not this again and uh i don't know because it seemed to me like that was what pushed hannah over the edge more than anything else and then it's interesting that of course we see a bob balaban in this episode as therapist that's mm -hmm. the one thing she doesn't tell him about yeah that's true bob balaban by the way is was born to play this sort of role all the time <laughs> always even when he's not he's you know it's great um so let's move on uh to our next show the red widow pilot of course this was a two-hour premiere on i on abc i'll say this for red widow though it has no right being anywhere near as good as it is because it actually is a solid show and i did not expect that from the premise the premise is terrible and uh incredibly uh played out and and just really forced. But that being said, it's well executed. The performances for the most part are pretty strong. And if you can get over the ridiculousness of, of the premise, and I do think actually the writing and the cast handle that initial leap of logic surprisingly well, then I think you could do a lot worse than, uh, the, the, than this show. Uh, the premise, of course, for those who don't know, is that the main character, the Red Widow, who is the daughter of a Russian mob boss. Um, she, her fa She's not in the business. She wasn't, her and her family weren't. Her husband, uh, she finds out in the pilot, actually was. She thought he was just smuggling marijuana, but she finds out later that due, due to various things, he is somewhat involved. They are somewhat in the life. And then what happens in the pilot is through a series of occurrences her husband gets killed and some some drugs that her idiot brother stole um and pinned on the uh the the husband is having stolen go missing and now she is in uh she's in debt to this really big bad scary guy much scarier than her mob boss father even so she uh has to take over her former hus her dead husband's uh role in the mob so as you can see this is not a good sounding premise right yeah i wish that that our listeners could look at my eyebrows right now i don't think they can go higher <laughs> yeah it's it's a it's a good skeptical face but the performances really do help anson mount is good in his one scene really or one episode that is as the the you know the deceased they one of the things they do really well is establish the kids especially the young son who gets to see his father get gunned down in their front driveway that wisely happens off screen um but i actually think a lot of the touches with the family in this first two hours are, are pretty good i mean i'm not going to check in week to week i have no interest in the show but i was pleasantly surprised based on what you know the, the little bit of it that we had seen it actually is a fairly well executed version of this so if that premise doesn't steer you away or even sounds a little in intriguing definitely check it out it, there's a good show in there. I just don't think that good show is going to happen on network TV. It's not going to be violent enough. It's not going to get dark enough. We're not going to have this be 
so like a, a female mother version of Breaking Bad. So that makes me a little less interested. But uh, I do think that, you know, look, in this batch of mid-season pilots, this is probably the best, especially network. But that's not that high. It's not saying that much, though. Yeah, fair enough. Let's move on, though, to our final show, which is The Good Wife Going for the Gold. Of course, our Walking Dead podcast uh, on this episode this week, Clear, is already out. It should be in the feed. And uh, we we got to talk with Zach Hanlon of, of, amongst other places, the AV Club about this episode. It was a lot of fun, so you guys should definitely check that out. But let's talk going for the gold. And uh, Alicia is now officially a partner, so she has to do some partnering this week. What did you think? I was so bored with everything in this episode that didn't involve Carrie Preston and Cal McLaughlin, to be <laughs> honest. I don't know if this was your experience or not, but the Alicia stuff, I was bored silly by. The uh, stuff with, with Eli Gold, I was bored silly by. Everything in the courtroom was great. I like the judges. It's nice to see S. Epitha Merkinson back on my TV. Of course, I loved her for so many oh years. Oh my god, that was that was her? Yeah. I didn't recognize her. Love her for so many years on Law & Order. One of these days we'll do a Law & Order DVD shelf and I can geek out. But uh, but no, she was good. And you know they continue to have just such fun judges. The, the, the judge who really could not care less about Kyle MacLachlan and his objections was, I think, probably my favorite part of the entire episode. And uh, I don't know how I feel about uh, that that uh, Elsbeth and I, Josh, Josh, uh, Josh, call me Josh situation. <laughs> I did love though, her kiss off of no, I'm not going to tell you why. Cause I don't have to, uh, that was pretty great. As for the rest of the episode, I liked it more than you did. It sounds, um, I think they didn't really set up TR Knight well enough. They didn't do enough legwork on his character to make him believable. Um, and so when, when he calls in, when he's questioning him, I think it it was too easy for us to to just say throw him throw Jordan over and go back to Eli. I think they needed to have established him as being more competent in his job. Well, and it and it didn't seem believable given the context that he would be that he would take Eli back. Yeah, I mean, there's there there I don't know there are a couple different um, things in this in this episode that don't really mesh for me. I don't buy as as great as that stuff with Jackie was, I don't buy her going on the record saying that she's mentally infirm. Public record. Yeah. I don't think Jackie does that. If it's going to be some sort of private sealed document, then maybe that's a different situation, but I don't know. As much as I did love that sort of back and forth and her playing with Eli, I thought that was actually a lot of fun, but I just don't buy her going in public court and saying that she can't remember her own name. Yeah, and I, I don't know, but although I did like that they were at the midway point of the episode, they're just like, oh, let's attack Jackie over mental health and nobody bats an eyelid. It's just like, <laughs> ah. This is what we can do now. <laughs> yeah, and we don't really care about this woman anyway. <laughs> yeah. What about Amanda Peet? Uh, that stuff was, again, fine, but I don't really care about Will's love life. Does anybody? I don't know. There's I, a strong fan base who probably does. There's a lot of shit oh, yes, going yes, on. Oh, yes, I suppose. But, uh, yes. yeah, yeah, definitely not as good as last week, but I still, you know, an average episode of The Good Wife, it is such a consistent show. An average episode of The Good Wife is still a good episode as far as I'm concerned. So I still enjoyed this one. Yeah, it was all right, but it can do so much better. Four weeks in a row now, I believe, or at least three more coming of Good, week, good Wife every week. And I'm looking forward to having that little bit of stability in while the rest of these shows are on hiatus. So we'll have plenty yeah, more Good sure. Wife talk to come. So let's take a little break now, listen to a little music, and come back with our spotlight on Justified Outlaw. Gotta find a good woman. 
That was Find a Good Woman by Craig Erickson, which was one of the songs featured in this week's episode of Justified Outlaw. It was it was a big episode this week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I, I think it was a, an important one for sort of course correcting from the last couple episodes, where which felt a little bit meandering in terms of how they're dealing with the overarching mystery. According to Wikipedia, previous to this episode, there were five deaths all season, and there were nine in this episode <laughs> alone. Nine. That's like season one fatality levels right there, uh, if not higher. It was a crazy episode. And of course, the most important fatality was Arlo Givens. And I mean, props to Raymond J. Barry. He has been so good over the course of the entire show's run. And I know that some people uh, at Seppenwell was saying this, for instance, uh, some people had trouble with killing Arlo off now and sort of ending that relationship uh, between him and and, uh, and Raylan. First of all, that relationship's never going to end. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Raylan's always going to carry that around, especially given that l- just last week he was saying that he was going to savor the moment when he heard his father had died in jail, which uh, he was dead on in that prediction that it was going to happen in just a couple of days. And uh, and also, I mean, the show, they've already stated, uh, Yost and company have said that they, they, they envision Justified as being about six seasons long, which means there ain't that much more story to go, especially if they're going to go with these short, uh, short time frames for seasons. So, I mean, the people are going to start dropping like flies, man. Get used to it. Yeah, I thought that uh, not only was this episode, it was really great, very well-written performances were fabulous. Like you said, Raymond J. Berry is, is excellent. And and his his scene, the, the, where he, the scene where he gets shivved, I guess, or, or stabbed, was you know even just watching it you're like at first it's it seems confusing and then you realize he's not actually knocked out and then you then it seems obvious that he's going to overpower the other guy un- until he doesn't and uh just the way that it yeah. was executed and and uh laid out and that would probably be in the the script was was fantastic and that the way that they held on on Arlo so long at, you know they really felt that moment of him getting stabbed was incredibly powerful and um yeah i i think i think having raylan deal with his father's death or be confronted with it at this point in the series will work well i think they arlo was out of story there wasn't much more story they could really do with him and not have it and have it be believable in any way and so to to kill him now and to kill him in this way and to do it off screen especially I thought was incredibly incredibly successful. Yeah, that was another thing that I I know people had misgivings about, but uh, that scene of Raylan revealing to everyone that oh yeah I got the call an hour ago was so perfect for his for his relationship with Arlo and the the way that he did his best to just sever ties and and just totally put him out of his mind in a, in a positive light in any way, even though he's he's his father. And on some level, on a, just that on the, just that base biological level, you, that's something that is so difficult to do. Um, and he he just he wants so badly not to care. So to to have him try to be off the cuff about it uh, when it's virtually impossible, I think was the smart thing to do. Well, and the, again that. Talking about performance, that performance from Timothy Oliphant was fantastic. He's so shut down and trying to 
be the you know put this facade of the same you know just another day and then you see him at the elevator and he lets that emotion in just a little bit and it really takes i mean the the throughout the episode uh, you know at the deathbed scene at the at the elevator these different moments it was really really well executed and thought and measured and layered performance from timothy oliphant and then you also have the fact that raylan is now alone I mean, especially with Winona over on the following, his his so very alone. His mother died. His surrogate mother died. His father died. His girlfriend he 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 messed things up with his wife. His girlfriend uh, stole all his money and ran off. He's absolutely by himself now, except for potentially his kid. Kid, yeah, and right. I think we'll see a lot. You know, if if they're gonna, you know, really give him things. I think the next thing, the next significant relationship is going to have to be with his son. So that has the potential to really change the series a lot. Yeah. Mind you how they're going to have a significant relationship with his son while Natalie Zia is off on another show. Yeah. It's going to be difficult. Well, and and that just occurred to me, actually, that's probably why they have the, uh, the show taking place in such a short span of time because she looked about ready to pop. And they, you know, don't they want to hold off on on him as parent? I would imagine, though it that's very much been informing a lot of the season. Yeah, so th- th- they've got a, a tricky thing to face. I think at least next season, when inevitably she gives birth, unless unless <laughs> they do something with her or the kid, which I don't think they, they're going to want to do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, going back to Oliphant, I think the, the difficulty of a character like Raylan, who's you know he's known as you know this. Uh, you know, a cool character, a guy who gets things done and, and sort of keeps it, keeps his stuff, you know, keeps things together at his job, if not in his personal life. It, he's not the sort of character who's going to have a breakdown and cry and have a big scene and yeah. get to have, you know, um, the Emmy moment. moment. Yes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that's never going to be him. And that's why you're never going to see him win an Emmy for the character ever. It's not going to happen. You can, you can quote me on that. Um, but you know, in this episode, I, I think people underrate both his range and the range of the show in very much the same way. There, where because it's so good at doing certain things, that means it's not good at doing other things, and that's not the case. You know, it's very good at being fleet and funny and violent and exciting, but it's also very good at delivering these really potent character beats that you don't necessarily see coming. Well, and you also had uh, speaking of violence this week, we we should talk about Colt a little bit. Yes, uh, and I actually liked cult scenes this week as much as I was sort of getting tired of that character last week. Um, I mean, there was so much great dialogue and so many well-written individual sequences this week, and just the, the notion that he really wants to let this, this second guy go and knows that he can't, so he sort of finds a way to at least take away the terror, if nothing else, mm-hmm. yeah, which I thought was, was a, a really a really beautifully written scene. Well, and uh, aside from the how how well executed and written that scene and performed that scene was, it also it, I also enjoyed it from the level of now we know how Tin's going to play back into it into it. At least it seems like we do. Yeah. Well, and uh, and this is going to be the latest in a season that that one of the other marshals set has had anything to do. So I'll be curious to see how much of a role uh, Marshall Tim plays in the in the end game of the uh, of the season, which we're sort of approaching now. Yeah. Oh, it makes me sad. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, let's also talk about uh, Boyd a little bit here and uh, his Dairy Queen. And his Dairy Queen. Uh, that was if you got if you got to do product placement, man. I guess that's the way to do it. I don't even um, know if that was product placement. This was got to be 
one of the most quotable episodes of Justified in a long time. I'm going to remember that peanut butter parfait line for a long time. Yeah. Uh, well, and I really like that they're going through with the idea that Boyd really just wants to settle down and not be... Uh, he doesn't necessarily want to be a kingpin, or at least not for very long. And they're sticking to that. And that also means that I'm sure that there's tragedy on the way, because that's what you do with characters like that. But, you know, I don't know, maybe they'll zag where we think they'll zig there. And, uh, hey, Jim Beaver's getting stuff to do as well, so... Yeah. That's that's always good. I have thoughts on that, but I'm not going to go into them in case my thoughts are right, and, and then people will get mad at me like, like you... <laughs> <laughs> People already know what you're talking about now that you've said that in the way that you've said it. So, so I'm going to move on them. and say the the thing that I liked especially about that that closing Boyd and Ava scene was that for the first time in, gosh, maybe ever, I actually am fearful for Boyd and whether or not he will make it out of this season. That's something that I, I've he's always felt completely safe, completely uh, off limits, much like Raylan. They can't have this show. They're not going to have this show. They're not going to get rid of Walton Goggins because he's just too damn good. And uh, and and I know maybe that means that they they will stick to that and and maybe they'll kill off Ava or maybe they'll kill off Boyd or something. But there was a sense of of frailty in that moment and of of danger. And I think that the credit actually goes to Joelle Carter for the her execution. You know, for her performance in that scene, for her fear for Boyd and for them made me fear for them and uh i don't know because i don't know do you agree this show always has felt like it has to have boyd but with him saying he's gonna take down theotonin and get and feed into the cops for once i don't know that i think boyd can do that yeah and i i, I think honestly the most likely scenario as i've imagined it is that ava bites it and then he just digs in his heels as as a crook for the rest of the series because that otherwise i don't see how they can keep him engaged in the world of justified unless he's a criminal uh, i mean th they could go another way with that but that's how i i, I see it happening and it that would be significant because ava's one of one of not that many characters who's been around since the pilot uh so yeah it would be that that's that's what I see happening, but you know I, I I'm usually wrong. Well, and especially because you know they don't have very many female characters on this show. So with Winona not available, if Ava's gone, that just leaves you with Rachel, and uh, that's I don't know I don't know that I think the show they'll, then they'll have to introduce new characters, and obviously I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, put any doubt on what Justified can pull off, but I think they would put themselves in a really tricky place if their only original characters are art and like basically the marshal's office and boyd yeah i don't know but uh we'll, we'll see but that that's i i i'm just trying to think of another way forward for them especially yeah. with the threat level they've got against boyd and i just it's not coming to me yeah well i guess we'll just keep following what happens how many episodes are left four or five this was episode eight, right? Yeah, There's so thirteen episodes. So five. Uh, yeah, we're getting into the end game this week. It I, it seems like we're gonna get to to find out who Drew Thompson is. Next week's episode is get Drew. So things seem to be really coming to a head. I, I would say this still, as much as I've enjoyed this season, I still think it's probably at least the third. Yes, you know, it's, it's one of the weaker episode seasons. Sorry of the of the show, but that's 
in justified terms, which means it's only yeah, well, really good. <laughs> there's still a lot of time left. Like they can, I, I mean, I thought that the last season's finale knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they do end games well, and that's sort of what we're headed for. So yeah, don't I wouldn't count them out yet. Yeah. Let's go into some show notes here before the end of the show. Our intro and outro music is Sweet Petite by The Bicycles. Of course, as I, as I said, said at the beginning of the show, we are up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 un- unchaptered feed as well. You could leave us a rating or review there. We'd very much appreciate it that you can also like us on facebook the televerse you can also email us the televerse at gmail.com and then we are both on twitter i am at the televerse and you are i'm at sucker howl so what should our question of the week be well i i guess since we're doing the favorite tv show write-ups on uh on sound on site i'm wondering what people are hoping to hear about that they don't necessarily hear about all the time so i I, you know people don't necessarily want to read about the same five hbo series every Every time one of these things rolls around. So they don't want to hear me only talk about Joss Whedon shows? Or that, yes. <laughs> yeah, so let us know what your favorite shows are and which you would be most interested in hearing us talk about. And so now we're going to take a little break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Eric Adams of the AB Club to talk what will hopefully be a Bunhead Season 1 spotlight and not a Bunhead's DVD shelf. So we'll be right back after this. So we heard your dancer. You did? Are you? I am. Where do you dance? Until yesterday, Vegas. You were a showgirl? Yep. So you walked around with feathers on your head. Okay, A, I didn't walk, I danced. And B, there were a lot of feathers on my head, like a flock full. And you think doing a double pirouette is hard in point shoes. You can do a double pirouette? I trained at APT. How'd you end up in Vegas? It paid better. So not in it for the art of it, huh? Why are you being so mean? God. I think Vegas sounds exciting. It has a lot of Victoria's Secrets. You're the first professional dancer I've ever met. Well, except for Fanny. Fanny danced with Ballet Russe de Monte Carlo. That's her in Capalia. I think being a ballerina is the most wonderful thing in the world. You want to be a bunhead, huh? I'm in love with a man. Plaza O, double four, double three. Sing out, Louise. It's a perfect relationship. I talk to him and he just talks to me. You done warming up? Oh, I... I can come back when you're ready. I'm not very good at this. Wait a sell. Sorry. When you show up for an audition, audition, okay? But he's still just a voice. Plaza O, double four, double three. What a perfect relationship. I can't see him. He can't see me. He calls me mom. He thinks I'm 63. And I'll never meet him. Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week at the DVD shelf, we are skipping the shelf. Hopefully, hopefully this won't count as a DVD shelf, because hopefully this is a season spotlight, and this show is going to come back next year. But here to help us talk, Bunhead, season one, from the AV Club, the assistant TV editor, Eric Adams. Eric, welcome to the show. 
Hi, Kate. Hi, Simon. Thanks uh, for having me. So, yeah, am I the only one still a little stressed out that we haven't heard an official pickup for Bunhead Season 2? No, you're not alone. If I was the type to use Google Alerts, I would have a uh, Bunheads plus renewal uh, Google Alert set because I'm frantically searching for the news every single day. <laughs> yeah, this is it's an interesting show. It's one we talked about in our, our 2012 sort of year in review as one of the, the big surprises, at least for me. But I remember f first tuning into the show, I did not uh, really know what to expect. It looked the ads looked kind of terrible. Uh, the promotions like the posters and things and it was on abc family and other than middleman i don't really watch abc family shows i gotta say this is like especially over the course of the entire year this has got to be one of the biggest surprises for me and one of the most pleasant surprises for me well were you uh, a fan of gilmore girls when it was on yes and that's why that's really the only reason i tuned in because i didn't know sudden foster at all and she's been again like another great discovery for me but yeah it's that amy sherman paladino thing it's great to have her back on my tv Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, she uh, she has not missed a beat in terms of writing or pop culture references or just the, you know, the the the, the pace and the rhythm of the dialogue is it's it's all there. Like uh, when when I'm reviewing the show on a weekly basis, it, it's a constant temptation to compare the show uh, both either favorably or uh, non favorably to Gilmore Girls. But, you know, it's just it's it, it's that sense. It's a. Uh, it's that feeling that, like you said, hasn't been on TV since Gilmore Girls ended in 2007. So it's just really nice to have that back. And I have never seen an, uh, a nanosecond of Gilmore Girls. And yet I really, really enjoyed uh, basically the entire season. I think what's interesting about Bunhead is that if you look at it structurally or you know as a TV show, there's so much about it that doesn't add up or doesn't seem right just on a... You know, if, if other shows were were making these kinds of mistakes, you'd be really frustrated. Uh, you know, just for instance, it's the way that for so much of of the season's run, the stuff with the bun with the actual bunheads and with uh, and with Michelle just seemed to be on different series. Yeah, it's really it's really only in these last few weeks that they've started to really integrate those two halves of the show, which took a really long time to do. And if that were hap if if they were having this problem on I don't know the, the show we were just discussing in terms of recordings, The Walking Dead. Uh, you know, people would be grumbling a lot, but here, because the characters and the dialogue have so much snap and so much wit and energy and fun, uh, it's it's really just a, it's a it's a very minor issue. And that kind of speaks to how uh, Sherman Palladino writes and uh, creates these worlds. She's not very interested in uh, in plot per se. She she's much more attuned to uh, character quirks and uh, you know relationships, and that's. That's what really uh, got me into Gilmore Girls, and that's what has sung on, on Bunheads is just like the connections that Michelle has with Fanny or the connection that she has with Sasha or the connection that Sasha has with Boo. Like it's all it's all this wonderful intermingling web of relationships that uh, just make it such a pleasant place uh, to view or to visit on a weekly basis. Like pleasant kind of sounds like I'm damning the show with faint praise, but it's it's just a nice thing to watch. Well, and yeah, it's something that when I was writing about Buffy this week, it, one of the things that I really like about it that really came to mind this time that I was thinking about it was that 
it's at its heart a lot of the time it's a really optimistic series and how that is not really present or valued in most of the prestige dramas we have right now most of the the best shows that are on television the ones that that get the most coverage get the most awards and that you know, at least on the television that we love to talk about are all really dark or depressing or or, or nihilistic or something like that and it i i don't think really pleasant uh like you said it sounds like you, you call something pleasant that you're damning it with faint praise but i don't think it's valued enough and that's got to be you know the joy and the happiness at the, the heart of the series despite its flaws despite how big of a mess certain parts of it really have been if you look at the season as a whole i think that that's what makes it sing yeah i mean the, the only other show that can rival bunheads for that joy factor i would say is bob's burgers mm-hmm. because other than that, like even if you think of comedies, like a show like Archer, for instance, like we we love Archer, we think it's hilarious, but the the basic worldview of of Archer and its view of its characters is pretty dim. And here, you know, we 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 it, it's strange to, to to watch a show that has so much affection for every single one of its characters, no matter how uh, eccentric or 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 even damaged they may be, and there are, are no antagonists that I can detect. Uh, except for you know aging and the dance world, uh, those those are like those are the, the, really the only things that that get in our character's way. Uh, and when I say aging, I guess I mean everything from get you know getting into uh, middle age or just becoming an adult. Uh, both of which are are, are problems here. Um, I, I I do think that it it took the show a while to really find its voice in terms of the individual bunheads and developing their personalities. I feel like that. Uh, was another thing that until the end of the, until the very end of this season, I don't think I could have identified character traits for every single one of the girls. But now that it's now that they have that, I think it's going to be a a real disappointment if it doesn't get another season because now now that that's established, they can do so much more. Well, I mean it it's going to be a huge bummer if it doesn't get a final season and the last like non dance sequence image of this series is uh bailey buntane just like collapsing into sutton foster's arms like it's such that's such a crushing moment that like it's it speaks to the show's ability to do really solid emotional material but for a show that's got such a, a bright perspective on all of its characters and just a bright perspective on living to uh, to end on such a downer note where you know uh jenny is is crushed that she's uh, she's given a virginity to this guy who's not returning her calls or even uh reciprocating her affection is like that that would be such a such a disappointment on on multiple levels if the show is not renewed yes but at least it did end on that fabulous dance sequence of uh of making whoopee it, it was one of my favorites of the entire se- season and maybe it's time maybe we should dive in there with uh, favorite dances because I feel like when you talk about Bunhead, you gotta talk about the dancing. And I think when the show is most successful, is is actually almost always in those dance sequences. As fin- as beautiful and painful and heart rending as that scene with Bailey Montaigne and Sutton Foster was, I still think what I'm gonna take away from the series as a whole is Sasha dancing to Istanbul, is the 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 Mouse King dance and. Uh, and some of these audition sequences for Michelle. I, 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 do you guys have a favorite dance? Uh, well, the the Istanbul sequence you mentioned was exactly what I was going to say if we were going to do a general survey. I also, I think a, a close second or third was actually the the uh, the bells are ringing sequence, um, the sort of mock audition 
from mm-hmm. two or three episodes ago. I thought that was fantastic. The, uh, the Istanbul sequence is one of those moments where you could tell that this show, this this was like the show finding its voice. Like Simon was saying, it was having a little bit of trouble in those early uh, episodes. And then you get that Istanbul sequence. And it's like, this is this is what Bunheads is. This is very special. But even in the second episode uh, for Fanny, there's that wonderful uh, sequence to a Tom Waits song, which I can never remember off the top of my head. It's a picture in a frame. Yeah. Uh, and it's like that that was one of the earliest moments for me that was like, OK, here's here's the show that I'm going to like because I like the way that the characters are talking. And then I know that the creator can handle uh, characters and relationships really well. What's going to be special about it are will be these, you know, just amazing, intricate, choreographed dances that, you know, you're not going to see anywhere else on TV, save for maybe uh, So You Think You Can Dance, which, of course, has now lent uh, a few former competitors and uh and professional dancers from that show to bunheads uh so there's there there's that crossover there but that that picture in a frame sequence was just like that was that was the aha moment i think of of bunheads uh early on it was just like this is what this show is is going to be this is what we're going to talk about uh and what this show is how this show is going to be unique is going to be through the ways that these characters can express uh, these emotions, these these feelings that they have uh, through dance, and it's not—it's never going to be uh, cheesy or inorganic as it could be on, say, a, a Glee or a Smash. I've always felt that the way that the dance was integrated into the show uh, was just so genuine and really was a great way to channel some high emotions, you know. Uh, these are these are teenage characters, and they feel deeply, and they feel more intensely than uh, than us adults who've been ground down by the world do. So to have that sort of outlet uh, in the dancing is is just it's it's a wonderful device for the show to use, and it's used it very well. The one that jumps out in my memory when you speak uh, of that element to it, uh, and it, again it ties in with Istanbul as well, is that dance sequence uh, when Sasha's parents leave. And it actually, yes. that, that moment, surprisingly, the, the show it actually sort of reminds me of until the dance starts is actually Alias, which had so many of its early um, early episodes um, with the sad girl music, right? And <laughs> Sydney crying in the tub because life really sucks right now. And uh, so you see Sasha just alone. And instead of going to the, the, the montage of somebody looking sad over music, they can do, they can go to this sort of experience expressionist dance and it's just it's beautiful and it's what like you said it's a wonderful way of portraying the heightened emotions especially for the teenage characters i i do find it odd this is sort of unrelated but i i i i would be kicking myself if i didn't mention it i did find it odd that there were two episodes of two different shows this season that both used not just tom Waits songs but tom Waits songs from the same record from like 13 years ago uh, to structure entire sequences around. I thought that was... And they were different songs. Very weird. Anyway, uh, yeah, the picture-in-a-frame sequence is great. And uh, uh, can I also just mention, I, I know he hasn't appeared in six or seven episodes, but I think the casting of Alan Ruck was a stroke of genius uh, yeah. for, for the role of uh, of of, um, of uh, Hubble because he's he sticks with you in, in the same sense that he kind of sticks with both Fanny and Michelle. And bringing him back for, the, for, that, uh, for that one sort of appearance six or seven episodes ago i think was really smart and i I think 
if they do come back, I, I, I think that bringing him back every once in a while would still be a good idea. Yeah, whatever he pops up, be it in a, a dream or a memory or that, that wedding video uh, that you're referencing. I believe that's what you're referencing, Simon, right? Yeah. Um, he's just so damn likable. And uh, Alan, Alan Rudd can, you know, his wide range, of course, he's fabulous, unjustified, being a far less likable character there. But he makes Hubble work as just as a presence on the show so much more than really he has any right to, especially when you get to Millie and and, uh, and Truly and their conflict over Hubble, which came up fairly recently. Just when they say, when just any of these characters just sort of say, Hubble, you can't help but sort of smile because Alan Ruck is so great in his very brief appearances. Which is nice that they've been able to carry that along because I was really worried after watching the pilot that, yeah. uh, that you know, that was just going to be because uh, Hubble was something that I really enjoyed about that pilot. And Alan Ruck's performance was, was just great. And it was like, I want to, I want to get to know Michelle and Hubble. I want to see how Michelle uh, learns to, to love this guy. And now, you know, some of that has been integrated in, into the rest of the show, but uh, you know, it's, it, it, it was an interesting step. I, I was kind of upset that uh, they killed this character off in the first episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think what's really smart is the way that it, it seems like a misstep at first, but it's actually quite organic because it makes you feel, because Ruck is so good and because the character's so charming, it makes you feel his absence for actually the rest of the show, whenever, especially when you're just dealing with Michelle and, and Fanny. And I think that's a really difficult thing to do. And I, I think that's that's down to great writing and Ruck's performance. Uh, speaking of Fanny, though, I, I think one source of what the probably the most persistent source of frustration for me about the show is just sort of the arbitrary way Fanny comes in and out of the series. Yeah, that seems like the last thing they haven't quite figure out, figured out how to balance Michelle and all four Bunheads. They've managed to figure out that balance. But Michelle and Kelly Bishop and the Fanny character, as well as the Bunheads, they don't seem to know quite how to have enough time for all of them. And I think, unfortunately, some of that is part of just uh, where Kelly Bishop is in her life right now. Like, I, when I was at the uh, Television Critics Association uh, Winter Press Tour this past July, I think I overheard Amy Sherman Palladino saying that Kelly Bishop lives in Germany right now. Oh, wow. So I would have to, huh. have to uh, check my sources on that. But, uh, you know, it, it might just be chalking it up to... Uh, to a difficulty with, with getting her to California for those certain number of episodes. But I would say that even though it, it kind of seems like she flits in and out of, of frame on the show, uh, it has kind of helped along the impression that Michelle is going to have to take an invested interest in this ballet school. And, you know, that will be a, a, a bigger part and a greater part. And her real reason for uh, sticking around in in this strange home that she's found for herself, uh, and you know, it, it, I feel like it's it is a weakness. It's something that the show's still kind of figuring out, but it are, they are kind of turning it into a strength in in, in its own way. I actually think that uh, one of the things that they've not quite taken advantage of, and again, this is probably because maybe she's living in Germany right now. But for a lot of this audience, especially the younger audience um, or, you know, 20-somethings, 30-somethings watching this, sh this show, they probably met Kelly Bishop from Gilmore Girls. And 
they probably don't know, as I didn't, that she actually danced at Radio City Music Hall. She was in a ballet company. She did Summerstock and Vegas and has a Tony from a chorus line. They haven't really let her sing, and she's done very little dancing. I don't know how much of that is just because of the actress's preference, but the, it wouldn't it be great to see her sing once? Yes, oh, absolutely. Especially because we've gotten so much of Michelle singing and dancing. Though we could always use more, at least where yes. I'm coming from. <laughs> well, and we haven't really talked about Sutton Foster, but uh, she's definitely, I mean, Michelle and, and her performance, that's been one of the most uh, consistent joys for me of the last season of television. The funny thing is bringing up all of uh, Kelly Bishop's off-screen credits. Like, before Bunheads, there really wasn't a whole lot of of film on Sutton Foster. Like, you could probably find some handheld footage of her in Anything Goes or, like, uh, understudying in Les Mis that somebody had, like, smuggled a camcorder into the theater and <laughs> surreptitiously shot. But, but, like, now it's just, it's this revelation. It's like, you know, she's, uh, it's been, it's great that she's been able to do all this stuff on the stage, but, like, why hasn't she been on television earlier? You know, will this lead to more film roles for her? Is she, uh, is she the next all-singing, all-dancing sensation on the big screen? I would vote yes, but then again, everybody listening to the show knows how I feel about that and how I would very much like a musical with Charlize Theron and some old school dancing, please. Um, Sutton Foster could be in that too. Uh, she could be the lead and Charlize Theron could be the da- the other well, secondary I, I, character, but I want more musicals. I, I, I hate to say it, but you're never going to see her get cast as the lead in a film musical because she's not enough of a bright young thing. That's true. It's that's just the way it is. But she could. But she's getting away with singing and dancing on television, which is probably the best we can hope for. I'll take it. it yeah. It's, and and she's just infectious. There, there's this. There's something about uh, some stage actors when they, Broadway vets, even like amazing, amazing actors when they go to television or film, but especially television where it's a much more intimate, usually for viewers relationship. They don't necessarily translate as well. They don't know how to scale their performance to to fit you know, the, the more intimate setting and, you know, the closeness of the camera, but she's done, she's handled the dialogue as well as, and just the emotion so well in, in keying her performance. And then when you see her perform, you see her in her audition, when you see her in that fabulous um, bells are ringing uh, uh, scene that you already referenced, Simon, she can again, bring it right back up and, and really sell her role, you know, the character as this performer I feel like usually, and when you already mentioned uh, Smash, Eric, this is what performers feel like. Smash is not what performers feel like. And I think that probably has something to do with uh, Amy Sherman Palladino's own past as as a dancer. You know, she, like like Kelly Bishop and like uh, Sutton Foster, was uh, raised in theatrical performances and was a, a trained ballerina and just on the off chance, happened to get a job writing on Roseanne. And then that's where her particular life path uh, diverted. And, you know, it's it, it's really great to, to have her perspective on that. And, you know, one of one of my favorite things about the thematic material of the show is the, the way that it sort of, it, it never, you know, directly comes out and says this, but it sort of looks at, like, life as an audition. And it... it does this really good job of, uh, of of translating the the feelings, the emotions, and the wants and desires of uh, of a performer in a way that doesn't kind of lose itself uh, up its own butt, like like a smasher, like a Glee could, and kind of make it look like 
the performer's lot in life is so difficult. Like it speaks to that to some extent, but you know, there, there, there is that element within the writing and within the performances that these people really know what it is to be uh, a performer and what it is to, to live and die by your art and to have, you know, all these things that you want to express through your body, through your voice uh, on stage in front of an audience and to know the feeling of having that shut down by just one person, one voice who just speaks up after you've sung a single bar uh, of a song or a, a person that shuts you out of a cast well before you've auditioned because they've already cast all the parts. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's something Sam and I talked earlier about Colt, how all the details are wrong on Colt. All the details are 100% right on this show. It's it's actually some of the sequences are a little painful for me to watch, you know, flashing back to some of my horror auditions that I've had over, over my life. But the, the even just in this finale, when they talk about, um, the, the pianist talks about her being a really good singer and having done a great job, he doesn't just say, you're really good. He goes... Oh, you can hit the high C and in the mask. Like that's that. Those are that's stuff that singers would say and people who know about music would say. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody else reference the actual the mask when they're talking about tonal quality. And then we're including we're including The Voice, American Idol, all these other shows where theoretically you're supposed to have good singers. I don't think I've ever heard anybody else reference anything as truthful as as what this finale episode did. That's all true, but I think another thing that that separates Bunheads from Glee and uh, especially from Smash is yes, you have Michelle, but you also have the Bunheads and for the and for the girls, you know, dancing is important and it's an outlet, but it's not necessarily what's go- what they're going to be doing for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, that may be the case with especially uh Sasha, but it's it's less likely for some of the other girls. I mean, we even saw um, we even saw Mel develop a you know a totally different pastime uh, with roller derby, which was uh, which was also great. But you know, like for for these girls, like it, it might be uh, uh, you know it might be something they do for the rest of their lives. It may just be an adolescent hobby. They may gr- they may uh, grow out of it, so to speak. So I, I think that sort of helps the show not be like uh, as as Eric was saying. It, it may help the show not be so uh, you know over the top, you know, trying to raise the stakes all the time. Though I do have to wonder if being that specific, as wonderful as it is from a uh, from a critic's perspective, if that's kind of alienating to outside viewers. I mean, this part of the reason that we're talking about whether or not it's going to be renewed is that it's, you know, it's not the most popular show on ABC Family. It's not one of the most popular shows on cable. Do you, either of you think that those details may be shutting casual viewers out? Honestly, I would go... The thing that I think is the most responsible for that is just the tone. Because unless you're on USA, happy shows don't really succeed on TV right now. Even even the other ABC family shows are always... There's constantly, especially uh, relationship drama and turmoil... The, the 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 there's very little drama and turmoil in in on this show. I mean, maybe one of the characters, Sasha, with her parents, we get that lovely Boo and Sasha fight actually in 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 this finale. Earlier in the season, we got conflict between Fanny and and uh, and Michelle. But for those, I think it's because there isn't a lot of angst and drama, and so people aren't tuning in because it's happy. 
Well, and, and if it does get canceled, which I'm really, really hoping it doesn't, I'm going to mentally pair it with another recent cancellation, which was Ben and Kate, because that was another uh, comedy series that was quite explicit about the fact that it had a bunch of characters that liked being in each other's company, and there wasn't really anything bad that happened. There were there were no, uh, there wasn't a will they won't they uh, scenario set up, and I think that didn't. And I think that in that case, I think you could make a pretty solid case compared to other shows that it was you know airing around the same time as that that was the difference between Ben and Kate and those other shows, and that's probably why it didn't latch on as well as it should have. And maybe that will be the case with Bunheads as well. And I think both shows, uh, both Ben and Kate and Bunheads were, you know, they were human sized shows. Their, their stakes were always very low. Both shows were kind of low premise. I mean, even though you have the, the ballet stuff on Bunheads, like it's still just a, a show about uh, people in a town, some, you know, some friends, some adults. There's not, there's not the big operatic uh, heights that you would see from other shows on cable. This, you know, if we want to keep on uh, making connections <laughs> to shows that are either endangered or have been canceled, it's very much like uh, Enlightened uh, in in that respect. These are, you know, these are small small stakes shows, and we don't often see that. And I think that may be a problem when it comes time to getting a, a, a critical eye on the show or getting a mass viewership when you see a show that's just sort of like, oh, well, you know, this is uh, about four teens uh, who do ballet and their uh, teachers learning to sort of be in a quote-unquote adult or it's a brother and sister, one uh, is more of an adult than the other or it's a woman who had a breakdown and came back and tried to change things and was completely uh stopped it was put had all these obstacles put in front of her like sometimes that's that's just a really hard sell and people want their their hours or half hours of, of tv to end on some grand conclusion or they want they want big stakes they want uh they want walter white to have done something absolutely terrible at the end of the hour and when that doesn't happen it's it's hard well there's a uh, and to connect to that, I'd say there's also a class issue of sorts. I would say shared by all three of those shows to one degree or another. I mean, none of these, none of the people on these shows are obscenely wealthy or or living in, uh, I guess, better circumstances than perhaps their position should dictate. I mean, I guess Michelle does luck into a lot of in, into, you know, the estate, but she's still living in a guest house. And, you know, with with her mother and essentially with her mother-in-law, you know, Laura Dern on Unenlightened lives with her mother, if I recall correctly. I haven't watched it in a while. And on Ben and Kate, you have siblings moving in together. Um, so, you know, that could be another alienating issue. So when you start to talk about like uh, socio-political and socio-economical stuff with with Bunheads or or with Gilmore Girls, it gets really messy really quickly, as you as we saw with the whole Shonda Rhimes tweet early on in the series and hopefully yeah. that's not going to be the show's legacy i mean if if it doesn't if it gets canceled here hopefully what people take away from it isn't that shonda rhimes sent out this angry tweet about the cultural makeup of the cast which you know is a valid point but uh, amy sherman paladino tends to write very white television shows and all of her reference points are very very white and uh basically her, her 
Her reference points are stage musicals and early 90s alternative culture. <laughs> and you can't really get wider than that. No, no, that's 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 Wonder Bread right there. Well, before we finish up, because we are unfortunately running out of time, we haven't really talked about the actual bunheads themselves. Uh, this is something that we did when we, when we uh, or I should say Simon, you guys did, when we t- did, reviewed season one of Girls. If you had to pick a bunhead, who are you? <laughs> I, I'm Boo. Pretty clearly. Ah, <laughs> uh, God. If I was a bunhead, I guess. Uh, I'm not. I can't say I'm Sasha. I'd probably go with Mel at this stage of my life. I'm just angry all the time. Remind me not to piss you off, <laughs> Eric. Uh, I thought I was a boo, but as these last eight episodes uh, showed, I'm a little bit more of a Ginny. I'm a little more high strung. I'm a little mm-hmm. faster talking. Uh, and I'm um, I'm a little prone to falling fast. Okay, <laughs> we, have, we have a nice we have a nice mix. But these I think you know it's something that we had already said a little earlier. It took them a while to really dive into the characters. Sasha felt really fully formed uh, early on, as did Boo. But it was uh, blonde and tall for yes. quite a long time. And that's something that I think the second half of the season actually did finally really do well to to bring, you know, a lot more character to both Mel and to to Ginny. Yeah, but I I do think a case could be made, especially with these last six or seven episodes that um, that Bailey Buntane is if if the if the show does end now, I think she's the one who you're most likely going to see more rapidly just popping up everywhere. Oh, definitely. And I mean, she was the one who seemed like she had her sea legs uh, earliest on in terms of navigating the dialogue and uh, the, the plotting and the pacing of the show. Like she was, she was the one who could adapt the most easily to this world. And I'm, I'm sure that will be the case on down the line, though. I don't want it to happen just quite yet. No. After another six or seven seasons of Bunheads. <laughs> <laughs> six, six seasons and a stage show for Bunheads. Excellent. Yes. A filmed stage show that I can watch at home on my DVD. That sounds yes. good. Uh, um, w- wait a minute. Will it have live singing? <laughs> well, it'll, if it's a filmed stage production, then I should hope it has live singing. Otherwise, okay. they would be dubbed. Okay. If they're going to spend 12 hours singing the same 20 minutes over and over again, they're going to destroy their voices and it's going to sound terrible. But, yeah. you know, that's a separate conversation for another time, Fair perhaps. Enough. Touched a nerve there a little bit, Simon, as I know you intended. Um, <laughs> let's uh, let's wrap up, though. Do you guys have any final thoughts on Bunheads? And uh, maybe let, let's just assume it's going to get renewed. What are, do you hope to see in the next season? Uh, I don't know, a 50-episode season, maybe? That'd be nice. I, I just wanted to keep on keeping on. I don't need any major changes. I would just I would just like it to come back. And I know there's, like, there's like a, a film... There's, like, a TV critic campaign to get Enlightened back right now, but I would personally prefer to have Bunheads back. Enlightened never did it for me in that sense. <laughs> uh, well, uh, the first half of this first season was sort of uh, reflect... It reflected how Paradise was changing Michelle. The second half reflected on how Michelle was changing paradise. And I would kind of like to see the the latter half of that equation uh, played out and see how her influence and, and what she can do to this town and the people that live there and how her presence affects them. Because in, in the end, for me, you know, we're going to bring it full circle here and make the Gilmore Girls impression or uh, comparison. But as 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 central as the relationship between Lorelai and Rory Gilmore on that show was, in the end, that show is it, it's about a community, and I think Bunheads has a, a very uh, it's it's heading down a similar path. And I would really 
like to see uh, a little bit more of paradise uh, from from whatever comes next from the show for for however much of it there is yes yeah that that all sounds good to me i'd love to see more paradise love to see uh, i i'm sorry he's still kirk he's not uh, whatever his name is on this show i don't even remember what the that character's name is uh here but i i'm even i'm bored with godot it took me a while to get on board with godot but i would love to see richard gant come back as michael i'd love to see ellen green come back uh, there's a lot you know this is a really fun ensemble and the, i i don't feel it's as quickly been established as a really lived in world as stars hollow was in Gilmore girls. But I still think Amy Sherman Palladino has done a really good job of building this world and really investing each of these characters uh, with, you know, they're just all so likable and relatable and it just, they make you love this show. So I don't know. I, I have a, a very big place in my heart for Bunheads. Hopefully it will be back. And Simon, kind of what you said, just, keep doing more of the same as far as I'm concerned and uh, I'll be a happy Kate. <laughs> Excellent. So Eric, where can our listeners find you online? Our listeners can find us at uh, www.avclub.com. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at uh, Eric M. Adams. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, thank you everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.